What is up, folks? You are listening to the most accurate podcast presented by 444.com. My name is Greg Smith, and I'm your host. The music on today's show is a song called It's Over by Ty Siegel from his 2014 album Manipulator. To hear the song in full, plus all the other songs I use on these episodes of mine, click the link in the show notes to the Team at B-Sides playlist on Spotify. Today's show is sponsored by FantasyDraft.com, the only rake-free daily fantasy site in the business. What does rake-free mean? It means that 100% of entry fees at Fantasy Draft are paid out to contest winners. If you want to try them out on a seven-day trial, go to FantasyDraft.com, sign up with the promo code 444, that's the number 4, F-O-R, the number 4, and say goodbye to the rake. Now let's say hello to Jennifer Akins. Follow her on Twitter, at the Monday Mommy and check out her articles at 444 on streamers and matchups to avoid, plus her dead weight report on players to drop. All of that knowledge from those articles is going to come in handy later when we get to our waiver wire discussion in this episode. But we have to talk week 15 first, Jen. Welcome back to the show. How are you? How do week 15 treat your fantasy football teams? Hi, Greg. Good morning. Week 15 was actually really good to me, as was, I guess, the entire season. I'm pretty excited. I know I know everyone out there is thrilled to talk about everyone's personal fantasy teams, but I have to say I, I had a really good week 15. I was in three matchups, and I'm looking like I'm going on to three championship games. That's awesome. Congratulations on that. I wish you good luck going forward. Um, specifically from the games in week 15, what stood out to you? You know, one thing that stood out to me that I thought was kind of interesting is the wide receiver, you know, how that panned out was kind of interesting. If you're looking at the the leaderboard from yesterday on those wide receivers, you know, Julio Jones is number one, which that's understood. 20 targets. That, <laughs> yeah, I'm right. But after that, you're looking at Rashad Perryman, Jamison Crowder, Anthony Miller. I mean, guys that in the beginning of the season, you would never think would be up there and would give people a chance to be played for the championship. So that kind of I thought was interesting guys that you kind of got you there, maybe didn't get you there this time, which I thought was interesting. Um, as far as my personal teams, um, you know, Lamar Jackson, of course, is going to get you there. I mean, he got me 52 points in a league. I have a league that has points per first down, and he had five of those on his own, you know, without everything else. So that was pretty great. Um, I have Chris Carson in three leagues who, you know, was a stud yesterday. And then Jameis. I love Jameis. As you know, we talk about that in the 444 Slack I call him my beautiful garbage angel, <laughs> you know, every week. I stress about starting him, and then every week I'm very happy that I kept him in there. First quarter, he has negative points every time, no matter what. And I have a friend who texts me every week, God damn, you know, Jameis is negative. I'm like, don't worry, dude, just wait. And sure enough, he was in the, you know, he was close to 50 yesterday. Uh, so that was great. The, another guy that I thought was interesting was Miles Sanders. You know, if, if you held on to him and you rode him out for the season, he finally paid off at the end. He had 122 yards rushing, 50 receiving, and two total touchdowns. It's a great prize for the end of the season if you were someone that, you know, waited him out. Yeah, definitely. Now, I want to kind of speak first to that wide receiver topic you brought up. That's just the nature of the position, right? This is something we see year in and year out. Week to week, the wide receiver scoring is very fluky, and that's because these guys aren't really seeing that many opportunities per game. Julio Jones with those 20 targets is the exception, not the rule. Most most wide receivers are only going to see, say, 5 to 12 targets at most, maybe like up to 14, 15 if they're a real target magnet. But because they're only seeing that limited number of opportunities and because so many different things can happen on those plays, whether it be pass interference or just bad passes from the QB or tip passes, whatever, that leads to up and down weeks for pretty much every wide receiver. Like Julio Jones stands out to me as that type of player who breaks the mold because he gets so many targets consistently, but even he hasn't been all that trustable week to week. 
And what this tells me is that we really need to focus on getting the running back position right in the first place. And we see this come up not only in seasonal, but in DFS, where you want to be able to lock in that commanding workload at running back before you want to worry about receiver, because you can always find guys who are going to spike week to week at receiver, right? Yeah, it's funny. One of the leagues that I did make the play, or will be in the championship game, I'm pretty proud of the fact because I started off my first two picks were OBJ and Juju, and I still somehow made the playoffs, and that's because there was that variance in wide receiver. Now, I went Carson, I think, in the third or fourth round, which, you know, he was one of the ones that carried me through. But it's interesting, like you say, you know, you can sit here and people focus and want to go wide receiver heavy in these drafts, but at the end of the day, you really need to lock down a solid running back core or else you're you're scrambling and you can do that in the middle rounds, right? Like you brought up Chris Carson as an example of a player who you might have gotten later. I think Mark Ingram fits the bill. There are other running back situations that were like that where you can find the value later, but you still need to make sure that you have those running back situations figured out when it comes time to set your lineups, right? Right. I mean, for example, okay, so I was in the, the one league, one redraft league I'm in that I did not make the playoff this year. I somehow managed to do that with Lamar Jackson and George Kittle. And the reason is I didn't have running backs. It's an auction league and I kind of let it go. And I ended up with, I think, Damian Williams and I think Sanders was my other somehow, you know, and it just the whole season, it was playing a game of, okay, Gore and Peterson, and you're trying to fill in with these randoms, and it just didn't work. And meanwhile, I had Lamar Jackson, and I had Kittle, and I still failed to make the playoffs because I was scrambling. So I think, yeah, I think your point is excellent there. Yeah, that was something that eventually doomed me in the Scott Fishbowl. I'm going to lose this week in the conference finals because I was down to starting Marlon Mack and Jamal Williams. I was hoping that I'd be able to rely on Damian Williams, on Tevin Coleman, and those guys fell off at the end of the year, and that really doomed my team. Uh, Some other stuff that stood out to me in Week 15, you mentioned we've talked about Julio Jones. uh, Kenyon Drake had a huge game. Travis Kelsey dominated the Broncos as usual, and kind of piggybacking off of some of the points you made earlier, there were fantasy points out there to be had if you started the right players. There were a lot of really big games in Week 15, and the big takeaway from for me in this case is to play in more leagues, right? This increases your chances of landing in the right spots on these players who are going to hit big in the weeks that matter the most. And I think it's also important to kind of mix up the types of fantasy football that you play, whether it be redraft or keeper slash dynasty, best ball DFS, because what that does is it helps you gain an understanding of the nuances necessary for decision making in fantasy. Because, you know, you can follow the standard approaches or the rules of thumb every week, and you might be correct 75% of the time doing that. But when it's win or go home, when you only have one game to win, you want to be right 100% of the time or as close to 100% of the time as you can. So if you lean into something like start your studs and you started someone who failed to show up in week 15, that really hurt you, especially if you did that benching someone, say like Rashad Perriman, right? A guy who you picked up off waivers in week 14. So I think that there's something to be said about mixing up the amount of fantasy football you play and the types of fantasy football you play. Absolutely. I agree with that 100%. It also gives you, obviously, better odds in the long run. If also, if you, not only do you mix up the types, but you mix up your drafts, you know, and we all have, we all obviously have favorites heading into the draft people. For example, I had so much GD Westbrook, which obviously was not a good thing, but at that time I thought it was, you know, if you at least, kind of lean on different different wideouts, different running backs, and try to mix it up a little bit. It's obviously going to you know benefit you in the long run as well. Yeah, now let's get into booms of the week. 
I want to start off here with Miles Sanders. You mentioned how he had 172 total yards on 19 carries and six targets. It ended up being 32.2 fantasy points in half-point PPR scoring. But still, Boston Scott received six carries, got seven targets, posted 10 fantasy points of his own. We'll get to Boston Scott in the waiver portion of the show, but as far as Sanders goes, has he reached must-start status for you heading into Week 16 against the Cowboys? I think so. I mean, obviously it's going to depend on your specific team and who you have, you know, as your RB1, RB2, whatever. But yes, I mean, if you if you have him, I think he's must-start status. Now, I think Jordan Howard has a possibility of coming back. That could cramp his style a bit. But I think he's had a pretty good run over the last few weeks. And, you know, for example, I had him in a league that I actually dropped him midway through the season because I just had to. It was one of those things, and I regret it. But at the same time, I think he's kind of elevated himself as the season's gone on. He's a rookie. So, you know, that does tend to happen. And I think he's kind of found his groove, found what he needs to do. It's a huge game, you know, for real-life football implications. Yeah. So I would say, yeah, for sure. Who's your boom of the week? Which fantasy starter made the biggest or most unexpected positive impact on your fantasy teams? Um, I would say Sanders for sure, but then, like I said earlier, un- I mean, there was really no one unexpected. Jameis was my was my kind of underlying stud. I mean, Lamar is going to do his thing, and, and Carson is going to do his thing, but Jameis was a guy that I was legitimately debating sitting. You know, he had the thumb thing, and I was I was debating sitting him for Kyler Murray you know, up until an hour before kickoff, and I'm glad I stuck with him. Like I said, he's he's my little garbage angel from the season. He always somehow, yeah, he'll throw four picks, but he'll throw five touchdowns. We might have to get RotoWare to come up with some sort of garbage angel t-shirt for Jameis Winston. That would be right. uh, pretty good. You could wear that around. Um, which Week 15 benching or DFS fade do you regret the most? And what do you think you missed with that player? I had two in, in this category. Now, uh, I, I got cute, unfortunately, and went with the, the Snow Day narrative McCoy thing, which I had zero intention of starting McCoy. And in the morning, you know, yesterday morning, there was all this hype about snow games. And I found myself doing research. And realized he had he had three snow games where he went off. He had one in you know, 2017, 2018. So, you know, it, it got in my head, and I benched Drake for McCoy. Oh, bomp, no. Bomp. <laughs> <laughs> However, I will say, in the long run, I actually still won that game. However, you know, it was a 46-point swing. Drake had 49.6 points, and McCoy had 3.6. So that would have made a huge difference. I did still win. You always say, don't get cute. And I did. And I'm, I'm, I'm a, a frustrated with myself that I did. Twitter can be phenomenal and Twitter can be a horrible thing when you start reading all this hype and then you buy into it. I made the swap and after Drake's second touchdown, I realized I was in for it. And then he got up to four, which is ridiculous. Uh, The other one would be Andrews. I sat Mark Andrews. I was definitely concerned about his knee and just the short week. Um, I benched him for Hunter Henry, which I thought was a decent choice, which it turned out not to be. That was a 12 point difference that didn't bite me in the end, but it could have. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that don't get cute stuff because... We all do it, but... (sighs) But specifically in in reaction to the way where you're seeing all these stats and this hype built up by other people from Twitter or, you know, maybe articles or podcasts, whatever it is, sometimes I wonder how much better off we would be if we just tuned all of that stuff out. If we found a way to fully ignore all of that and just make lineup decisions based on the schedule and maybe just point projections and go from there, right? Like how much simpler or better do you think our lineup decisions would be if we did that? And maybe this is a social experiment I need to apply to myself next season. It's just to have one league where before I take in any other content, I set that lineup and I stick with it. I wonder how that would work out. 
That's awesome. We should do a league like that where everybody has to do that and just see how we all do. It's my, it's old school. I mean, that's how, when I started my first season in fantasy football was 1996. I mean, old school newspaper, no internet, all of that. And we just kind of went with what we was by gut, really. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. You know, there's, there's a, there's a whole segment of fantasy football players out there that aren't on Twitter and that don't listen to podcasts. You know, it's interesting to see how they would do. I don't know where to find them, but you know, they're out there. Yeah, definitely. Now, my week 15 benching that I regret the most was Brashad Perriman. I sat him on the bench in Scott Fishball. No big deal. He was only the eighth highest scoring in that format on Sunday, (laughs) the second highest scoring wide receiver behind Julio Jones. And for all your fears of Jameis Winston, I had similar fears for Perriman being associated with Winston. And it was just one of those situations where I picked him up mostly to block other people from getting him and burning him. But I, I do think I made a mistake here where... It's Scott Fishbowl. The whole point is to hit a high variance outcome. And I was starting tight ends ahead of Perriman. And like Jacob Hollister was in my lineup. Jack Doyle is in my lineup. Now, maybe Jack Doyle will score 48 points tonight. Who knows? I highly doubt it. But I think looking at that decision and kind of the way that I played it, I played it more like a normal league where I'm only worried about beating one person. Whereas in Scott Fishbowl, I'm playing against nine other people in the conference finals. And so I should have been thinking bigger. I should have been thinking I need a high variance outcome here with a wide receiver or a tight end exploding for a lot of points. And Brashad Perriman had that in his range of outcomes. I don't know if Jacob Hollister necessarily did. You know what I mean? Right. And I think also that tight end premium kind of messes with your head too. Because you're like, well, what if this happens? And then Perriman only goes, you know, has four catches for 45 yards. So I can see where, I can definitely see how you went down that road and made that decision. But of course, hindsight's always 2020. Yep, that's how it goes. Speaking of hindsight, let's look back at our busts of the week. Which players made the biggest or most unexpected negative impacts on our teams? Uh, who was it for you, Jen? I had two, um, both in the wide receiver category. That would be Julian Edelman and Michael Gallup both in very small single digits. I mean, Edelman was two catches for nine yards and Gallup was one for six. And you can't win with that. I did, but, there, you know, it's, it's difficult. And those two, I mean, Gallup is, you know, he's been hit or miss all season. Edelman's, yeah, he's always up there. It, it was really disappointing to see him down there this week. Both are on my list. Both were in my Scott Fishbowl starting lineup. Oh. Both, so that means that both of them started ahead of Rashad Perriman. Uh, the only right. wide receiver in that lineup who really did anything really good for me was Terry McLaurin. Odell Beckham was okay. It wasn't actually all that bad, but only you know 16 or so points in Scott Fishbowl means that it was once again not quite that wide receiver one level I wanted. And just a, another reminder of how bad his season has been relative to expectations. Uh, another player who really busted for me was Amari Cooper. And he was just shut down by Jalen Ramsey and Troy Hill, those Rams cornerbacks. Do you think that Amari Cooper is the type of wide receiver that we need to strongly consider benching when the cornerback matchup for him is bad? Yeah, I do. I think that that's we've seen that this season. Yes. He's, he, you know, and, and I think he's one. I think all wide receivers. I mean, other than, say, you know, your Michael Thomas, there's a few. But Some guys are matchup beaters, for sure. But I don't think Amari Cooper is that level of player. Not yet. No, I agree with you, for sure. Last guy I want to throw out here is someone you already mentioned, LaShawn McCoy. And I'm just curious what your thoughts are for the Chiefs' backfield going forward, looking ahead to Week 16 at Chicago, and then maybe even extending that further into next season. Like, who do you think is going to lead the Kansas City rushing attack in 2020? I'm staying away for the rest of the season. I happen to not have them on my team, so that that also helps. But you've got Darwin Thompson. It just depends once... 
Do you mean are you talking about next season or for the next three weeks? Well, both. Like you've already said, you're going to avoid them for week 16. That makes sense. Right. I'm on board with that. But what do you think this is going to look like next year for Kansas City? That's interesting because you've got a bunch of young guys. They've all been had their shares of injury. Williams and Thompson. I think McCoy. I don't know if he'll be there. He he'll either. I mean, I don't know. You know, Reed loves him obviously. Whether he's there, I don't know. I don't know exactly the uh, extent of his contract. Was it just a one year? I don't know Do either. Know? But yeah. I, I would assume that McCoy is not the answer. And if I'm looking to draft a Chiefs running back for 2020, like if I have to draft in January or February for a best ball or something, I don't think he's going to be on my radar. I would still have some mild interest in Damian Williams. Darwin Thompson is interesting because they just drafted him. Darrell Williams looked good when he was in there. I think he has some appeal, but. This seems like an offense where we want to be invested. I just don't know when we're going to get a clear picture of where we want to put our investment within those running backs. You know what I'm saying? Yes, and it's completely frustrating because the rest of that team and the rest of that offense, like you said, has so much potential moving forward. And we know it's something we all want a piece of. And it's it's frustrating to not you know have a clear picture. Hopefully, maybe the offseason, the coaching staff will come up with something. Maybe that you know we'll we'll see what happens. They may let somebody go to where it makes it a little more clear. But right now, you've got a few guys that, that have injury issues but have all shown sparks. So we have to kind of see what happens there. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of the way the Patriots backfield used to drive us crazy. Um, we're going to get it into it. It still our... does. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's definitely true. We're going to get into our Week 16 waivers conversation shortly. But first, a word for the sponsor of the show. It's Fantasy Draft, the only rake-free DFS site around. They're running the largest rake-free contest out there each and every week, including the Hooter main event. Being rake-free means that Fantasy Draft is the only daily fantasy site with no management fees taken out of the prize pools, and this is not just a limited promotion. While other DFS sites can continue to raise their rakes, squeeze prize pools, and make it harder for players like you to win, Fantasy Draft's contests remain rake-free. Sign up at FantasyDraft.com today with the promo code 444, and you'll get a free 7-day trial on your first $1,000 of rake-free entry fees. That's FantasyDraft.com with the promo code 444, the number 4, F-O-R, the number 4, don't miss your shot at millions of prizes this season. Start playing rake-free at FantasyDraft.com today. Your bankroll is going to love it. All right, Jen, let's talk Week 16 waiver strategy. And before we get to the players we want to pick up, just a quick note on droppable players. I went in depth on this last week on the show, but in terms of who you can drop at this point in the season, assuming Week 16 is the final week of your fantasy football season and that you're not keeping players into next year and beyond, the only players you really need to keep on your roster this week are players you plan to start in your own lineup, maybe some contingency plays for questionable starters you might have, and players that you don't want your opponents to have access to. I think that's it. That's the list. If a player doesn't meet one of those criteria, you can feel free to drop them, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I write in my dead weight report every week. I'll be writing it later this afternoon. And I think it'll be more extensive than normal because there's plenty of, like you said, plenty of players to drop. You need to be realistic. You know, I, I think, like you said, it's either going to be people that you're playing defense for or people that you're going to start. Yep. And now let's get into the players that we want to pick up. And just like we were talking about how it's more likely that we'd be willing to cut more players this week. I think we have to be a lot more discerning with the players we might be adding. We really need to look for difference makers, players who could realistically make a huge impact in week 16, because if we made it this far, our teams are good, right? We have legit starters. We don't need to worry about picking up players that we're not going to use unless it's specifically to block our opponents from getting them. Let's start at running back. The big one we have to tackle here is the Dalvin Cook injury. That means that 
either Alexander Madison, Mike Boone, or Amir Abdullah is going to be the starting running back for the Vikings. Now, Madison didn't play in Week 15. He was hurt. Mike Boone was the primary beneficiary of the Dalvin Cook injury, but Abdullah is still there. Madison might be coming back. How are you approaching this backfield heading into the championship week of fantasy? It's interesting. I'm actually surprised that Madison is only 39% rostered right now. I would think people would have handcuffed him in prior weeks. So it's nice that he's there for people that are going to need him. Hopefully he is back from injury. Boone is only a 2% ownership, so he's someone that I think people should certainly pick up. He's shown flashes of you know being able to handle the carries. Um, Amir, Amir Abdullah, I'm just not a fan of. I don't know that I'm buying into him. But if you're desperate and you absolutely need someone in that spot, go for it. Do we know that Dalvin Cook is is definitely out? I know it's a shoulder issue. I know he left. I didn't do is he is he certainly is he out? Do we know? The reports to begin the week and we always record the show so early so it's hard to know for sure but the reports don't sound great cuz he re-injured okay. the same thing that he aggravated a couple weeks ago. This is not looking like he's going to be ready for week 16. And I don't know where to go with this. Like, because Madison was hurt, right? Like, is Madison the correct player to go after? Or do we target Mike Boone ahead of Madison? Because Boone is known to be healthy right now. What do you think about this? Because I don't have a clear understanding of where to go. And we're probably not going to have enough information by the time waivers run on Tuesday evening. Yeah, I think you kind of have to scramble. And I think if you're a cook owner, you hopefully already have Madison. If not, I would definitely grab Boone. Abdullah, if you have the room. I mean, Green Bay is kind of in the middle of the pack when it comes to running back. They're right at 15 as far as, you know, giving, allowing fantasy points to backfields per, per week. So it's a decent matchup. This is the thing. If, if you're a cook owner, I would scramble. I would think if you, you're in the championship game with other running backs, I wouldn't scramble. If you already have, say, a Carson and a Jacobs, which is what I'm looking at, I'm not, you know, maybe play defense to pick those guys up for my opponent, but I don't know if they'll be a, you know, a championship winner. Yeah, it makes sense. I think the key reason to pick these players up would be if you were the cook owner or if you're trying to block somebody. And if I have to prioritize them, I would take it down to the wire as much as I could, see what the reports are on Tuesday evening or, you know, as late as you can before your waiver deadline and try to get a read on what the situation for Madison is. If it sounds like he's going to be back, if there are projected practices saying that he's going to be limited and then possibly full by the end of the week, I think Madison is the player you go after first. There is a good chance that Madison is already owned, as you discussed, because he should have been handcuffed. He is owned in 39% of Yahoo leagues, so it's possible he might not even be out there on a lot of wires, and at that point it's easy to go after Mike Boone but I think if you're looking at the two of them head to head if it sounds like Madison's gonna play or give it a go I think you go Madison ahead of Boone if it's at all murky with Madison I think you just make Boone the top priority but we'll have to see how it plays out let's move on to Boston Scott at 8% ownership and we mentioned how Miles Sanders blew up we mentioned how Jordan Howard might be coming back but Boston Scott seems like a legit part of this Philadelphia Eagles offense going forward especially considering how many players they've lost at wide receiver What's your take on Scott? Is he worth considering for Week 16? I do think he is. He's been coming on slowly with with Howard being out. It's it's a big game. I mean, it's a huge game for them for the NFC East. And Dallas is 20th against running backs as far as their their defense. And, and Washington was 23rd. And Boston Scott had I had him in DK and he had 13 and a half points there. So I think he's someone that is worth 
considering picking up in that flex spot? Say you're in a league that has maybe two flex spots and you need him there. I think he's someone that you know, he's only. I think he's he's available in 92% of leagues right now. So I think he's someone to at least grab, you know, drop some guy that you're definitely not going to start and just stick him there and see kind of how the Howard injury news plays out. Yeah, that's the biggest concern for me is if Howard comes back, does Boston Scott still have a role? Now, I'm not a big Jordan Howard fan in the first place and what I do like Nor about am I. and what I do like about Scott is that he has that ability to contribute not only in the rushing game but also in the receiving game. That's something nice about deploying a backfield even if it is a split backfield with Boston Scott and Miles Sanders is that both of those players are viable receivers and that allows the offense to do a little bit more and I think that that should be important to the Eagles considering all that talent that they've lost at wide receiver now with that said are we just going to assume that the Philadelphia coaches believe the same things that I believe that's probably not the correct way to approach this we don't know that they are going to be thinking about this the same way that Greg Smith of 444.com thinks of this so (laughs) I don't know if Scott is someone that is going to make a difference in week 16 because I think Miles Sanders is the clear number one. And if Howard comes back, that really throws a monkey wrench into Scott's value potentially. And I don't know if I want to risk that. Now, if you want to pick up Scott to block somebody else, I get that. But I don't think I would trust starting him in week 16. Now let's move on to the Detroit Lions. They brought up another running back from their practice squad who scored a touchdown in his first game, Wes Hills. In week 15, he had 10 carries, 21 yards, yuck, uh, but two scores. I don't think that Hills is someone we need to concern ourselves with for week 16, but it sounds like Carrion Johnson at only 39% ownership on Yahoo is going to be back this week. Do you have the gumption to start Carrion Johnson in his first week back with a fantasy championship on the line? Because I don't think I do. Uh, no, he is not someone I'm going to start, especially in Denver. You know, it's his first week back. He's been gone for a while, and Denver plays tough versus the run Von Miller those guys are, are no joke so and Detroit I just think as an offense they're a mess and I I just think with all the marbles on the line I'm not going with Johnson I'm not going with Ty Johnson either the Detroit backfield is something I would stay away from for a week 16. Are there any other running backs that are catching your fancy this week because I don't see a whole lot of other appealing options. Not really. I mean, if you want to handcuff somebody like, you know, if you want to grab Tony Pollard in case Zeke goes down with a freak, you know, crazy accident, something like that. But no, as far as putting in your lineup to start, no, that's, I think, I think we've covered really everything, which, you know, like like you said earlier, if you're in the championship game, you most likely have players that you're going to start anyway, and you shouldn't be scrambling, especially because there weren't any crazy injuries other than Cook, you know, two running backs last week that would make you be scrambling. Yeah, it's the mad rush to see who can get the Vikings running backs. Other than that, I think you need to look at other positions to potentially better your own roster, block your opponents. Let's move on to wide receiver. And we have to start with the Tampa Bay guys here first because Brashad Perriman is still only at 10% ownership. Justin Watson is at 6%. Chris Godwin got injured in his Week 15 game. Scott Miller got injured as well. It looks like Perriman is going to be the wide receiver one and some combination of Justin Watson, maybe Scott Miller, going to be the wide receiver two. If you're looking for just a flex play, would you rather go after Perriman or one of the Vikings running backs? I would probably go for Perryman. With Godwin out and Evans out, you're looking at O.J. Howard, you're looking at Perryman. I think, you know, as we know, Winston finds a way to complete passes and make things happen. So I think Perryman not only is a flex, I mean, he may even be a wide receiver three this week, depending on what people have 
Watson, you know, he had two catches for 17 yards. I mean, that's a dart throw in a in a large league, if if that, for me. I think Watson is only really applicable to deep leagues, like you said, and it is contingent on Scott Miller remaining out. Uh, if Miller's back, he's been running ahead of Watson basically all season. So if Miller is healthy, Miller's going to be the wide receiver too there. I would put Perriman ahead of all these guys by a mile, and I might even rather go after O.J. Howard or even Cameron Brait maybe ahead of Justin Watson and Scott Miller, but there is an opportunity to be had here with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers receiving group, and you mentioned Perriman as a potential wide receiver three. I think he's in the wide receiver two, maybe even wide receiver one conversation. So he's got to be a high-end pickup for me. I think he's probably the top free agent ad, if only to prevent your opponent from getting him and having another week like he did in week 15. Who else stands out to you at wide receiver off the waiver wire? The only other guy that I really like here, well, I kind of like Kenny Stills just based on matchup, but I do, I do kind of like Greg Ward. I mean, you just don't know, like we've said earlier, it is a, it's, it's a do or die game for those guys. So, you know, they're going to be going every facet of the game and he had, you know, nine targets. He caught seven of them plus the game winning touchdown. You know, Dallas does play the wide receiver tough though. So there is that, but I think Ward is a possibility in the flex. Yeah, I think that's about as deep as I want to go. You could start talking about maybe Chris Conner, Keelan Cole, because DJ Chark is still in question for the Jags in Week 16. Or you could look at the 11 targets that Steven Sims got for Washington in Week 15. I mean, no other Washington receiver, including Terry McLaurin, had more than five targets. So it seems like Washington was making an effort to get Sims involved. Now, that might have just been to see what they have in him, right, towards the end of the season. Some of these teams that don't have as much to play for need to give run to uh, the lower guys on their depth chart. But I agree, Ward is probably the one who's interesting to me the most at the the lower depths of ownership, at only 1% ownership, because he's had seven or more targets in three of the past four weeks. In week 15, he had nine targets, seven catches, 61 yards, and a score. If I'm Dallas, I'm looking to cover Zach Ertz before I'm looking to cover Greg Ward. Like Zach Ertz is really the wide receiver one for Philly, and I think that might open things up for Greg Ward. And even though Dallas has been okay against wide receivers, I don't know if Ward is going to be getting the type of attention uh, that a normal you know, wide receiver one or de facto wide receiver one might get. The only other wide receiver I think we really need to pay attention to off the waiver wire, someone who might make a big impact for us, is Anthony Miller at 26% ownership. He had 15 more targets in Week 15. I know it's tough to trust him with Mitchell Trubisky under center, but Miller has been delivering on volume week after week for a while now. He has to be considered at least a little bit if you're looking for a wide receiver, right? You know, I agree with you there. I personally just I I have an issue with Miller. I don't know what it is, but yes, I do agree with you. He has come on as of late and it is tr- it is tough to trust Trubisky, but at the same time, between Miller and and A-Rob, they are they are scoring points and they they're producing. So you you can't ignore it. Let's get into tight ends next. We mentioned OJ Howard and Cameron Brait as potentially Big upgrades with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin out. They are playing against Houston in Week 16. And entering Week 15, the Texans were the fourth best matchups for tight ends, according to 4 for 4 as adjusted fantasy points against. If you're looking for a tight end for some reason, and again, I it's, it's silly talking about this now because you probably have your tight end situation figured out if you're in the final week of your season. But are you looking at O.J. Howard first, or are you looking at some other tight end first off the waiver wire? I like Howard okay. I actually like Noah Fant. He is banged up. But he had 114 yards and a touchdown in Week 14. And then in Week 15, he only had 56 yards, but he missed the whole second quarter 
uh, due to an injury. So I, mean, I think he's got a great matchup against Detroit at home. Him and Drew Locke have something going here, and I think I think he he's a great streamer, a great kind of dart throw at the end. If 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 you find yourself in a position that you are in the championship game and you're still streaming tight ends, I think he's a good one. Another one I have that I think is interesting that people might not look at, and this is like in deeper leagues, you know, kind of is Irv Smith Jr. Hmm. He's had he's had two touchdowns over the last couple games. Um, he only has one fewer target than Rudolph in his last four games, and Green Bay is dead last to tight ends in four for four schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed metrics. So I think Smith is someone if you're desperate, if you're in a deep league, a 16 team league, whatever, and you need someone, he's he's 98 percent free on the waiver wire, so he's there for you. Yeah, a few other names to throw out here. Mike Gusecki at 28% ownership. He's against the Bengals, who are the 18th best team in adjusted fantasy points against. John U. Smith going up against New Orleans. That could end up being a bit of a shootout if the Saints can push the score on Tennessee. We saw John U. Smith get a little bit more involved again in Week 15. Maybe that continues. Smith is only at 13% ownership. And then Ian Thomas has the worst matchup of all these folks against Indianapolis, who who are only the 21st best matchup in adjusted fantasy points against. But Thomas is at 9% ownership. He could be uh, a decent play. I think I would prefer all these other names we've discussed uh, ahead of Thomas, though. Yeah, and I think that I think that Greg Olson actually has a chance to be back. I think he was practicing. So there's that, too. If people do want to pick up Thomas, you might want to watch and make sure that Olson's not back. Yeah, that's definitely a key thing to watch for. And another good reason to target these other tight ends if you need someone ahead of Ian Thomas. Let's get into quarterbacks. And there aren't really any two quarterback considerations to make here. Actually, hold on. Back Uh-oh. up one sec, if you don't mind. Sure. I'm going off the script here, and I know you didn't include it, but it is my brand, and I've got some kickers, and I'm going to throw them out there because I am the kicker streamer at 4 for 4 and so I need people to know I've got a couple kickers for you. For those people that are playing in kicker leagues for this week, we've got Young Ho Koo. He's only 42% rostered, and the Falcons are 7.5-point home favorites with a 26.5 team implied total. You've got Mike Bagley, same deal, home home favorites, a high team implied total, and Dan Bailey is my third guy who he's been a stud as far as kicking goes. He had 15 points last week. He had like 12 the week before. So I always preach it, and people laugh at me with kicker, but they can make a difference. So if you're heading into your championship game with the same kicker you started with, you might want to kind of look and and look at the matchups and see, because that could be an eight, seven-point swing that you wouldn't have before. If you're riding with a random kicker that may get five, six points per week, and you want someone that's more in the 10 to 12 range, it can happen. So... Um, those three are guys that are low-owned that will have a decent week. Kickers can make a difference, and they do make a difference. Week after week, I can tell you that a kicker made a difference in one of my leagues that I lost uh, in Week 15 because I had Justin Tucker in there. I thought he was a great play against the Jets, and the Ravens scored a ton of points in that game, but Tucker only ended up with four points of his own, and that was one of the reasons why I lost. These things do matter if you can find the right kicking streamer. It goes a long way for sure. Now, people might look at what happened to me in that Tucker situation and say, well, this is exactly why we don't like it. The guys who are supposed to be good when they crap the bed, it sucks, right? That's one of the worst things in fantasy. But that sort of variance is inherent to every lineup decision we make, right? It's not just kickers. That extends across all positions. The kicking position is predictable. Anybody who says it doesn't belong in fantasy, that's fine. You don't have to play with kickers. But to say that they're completely unpredictable is ridiculous. Like, that doesn't make any sense. No, and I've had... This is, I mean, you know, toot my own horn here, but this has been one of my best years as far as streaming goes. You know, my, my predictions have been solid all week, and there's a formula. It's not like I, I didn't invent it, but at the same time, it does make a difference. And I just had to throw that segment in there for you because there are subscribers 
I know because of tweets and DMs that I get. There's plenty of subscribers out there that do stream kickers um, on 444. So I just wanted them to have a couple just to start out the week. My, my streaming kicking article will come out tomorrow, so there'll, there'll be more in there. But for those of you that are just listening to the podcast, at least I gave some three names out there. We got Koo, Bagley, and Bailey um, that could you know help you get that championship trophy. You don't have to justify bringing kicker takes on this show with me because I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but the, the only reason that the most accurate podcast remains the most accurate podcast when I'm the host is because I'm the number one kicker ranker over at Fantasy Pros. I, that's the one thing I got on John. Are you really? How yeah. do I not know that? I don't know. Interesting. Uh, but you know, I mean, I, I love kickers and there's only a few of us in the industry that bond together over doing kickers. I'm surprised that you haven't come to the meetings, Greg. I, I wish you were there. <laughs> many, many of us are at four for four. It's you, me, Danny, the, whole, the yeah. whole gang is there. Exactly. All right, let's get into QB. And like I said before, Jen cut me off to bring up kickers. We, <laughs> we don't have a whole lot of two quarterback considerations this week. So we're going to jump right to the one quarterback league streamers and I'm kind of going to throw the ownership percentages out the window here to some extent, just in an effort to be more comprehensive, because if this is the final week, you do need to look at all possible options. So we're starting up at the top with Ryan Tannehill and Phillip Rivers, respectively at 68% ownership and 59% ownership. I think these guys are probably the cream of the crop in terms of higher owned players. Tannehill is against New Orleans at home. Phillip Rivers is against Oakland at home, although down in L.A. there are going to be way more Raiders fans there than Chargers fans. With that said, I assume that you would prefer Tannehill of these two, right? Probably, but it's interesting. Rivers has the better matchup. He has a really good matchup. But at the same time, he has been a mess. And there's even talk of Tyrod coming in. So I don't know if you can trust him for all the marbles either. Tannehill, we know, has been coming on great since since he's come in for – in, in Tennessee. So, yeah, I would go Tannehill over Rivers. But Rivers is intriguing just based on matchup if you've got the cojones to do it. Right. And Tannehill is very likely owned in most leagues. Like 68% ownership means that he's not going to be out there everywhere. Phillip Rivers is owned in 60% or 59%. But that means that there's a better chance he's going to be out there if you need a QB streamer. Now, if we have to dig a little deeper, which of these quarterbacks stand out to you as viable streaming options in Week 16? I actually like Fitzpatrick versus Cincinnati. You know, he's had at least 33 pass attempts in nine straight games. He's been pretty solid. I mean, as far as, you know, a streaming quarterback goes. Now, if you're in the championship game, you may not be streaming quarterbacks. But if you're in a 2QB league or something like that, I think Fitzpatrick, I think it's a great matchup. And he's only 25% owned. So he's definitely out there for you. I might start Fitzpatrick ahead of Rivers, to be honest. I like that call yeah. a lot. Now, the inflection point for me is would I start Fitzpatrick over Mitchell Trubisky or would I start Philip Rivers over Mitchell Trubisky? Trubisky is at home. He's against the Chiefs, so he's probably going to have to throw to keep up. He's only 23% owned. What are your thoughts on the Biscuit in championship week? Uh, my thoughts are never with the Biscuit, to be honest <laughs> with you. Hence the Anthony Miller hate, I suppose. Yeah, I you know, <sighs> yes. But I prefer Fitzpatrick. I think he's got... I don't know. There's something about him. He, he's got this weird thing, as we all know. And, and the Dolphins, despite the whole tank for two on the beginning of the season, seem to not be doing that anymore. They're, they're playing well. And Fitzpatrick seems to be orchestrating that offense well. I think either one is fine. I just personally am not a Trubisky fan. How, so you would start both Fitzpatrick and Rivers ahead of Trubisky? Eh, possibly. <laughs> very, very, very definitive answers here from Jed Akins. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's not definitive at all. As you can see, my confidence level with that is is pretty minimal. It's tough. 
hopefully you don't have to make those sorts of decisions, but I'm going to torture you a little bit more. Let's go even deeper down the ownership percentages. I'm looking at Gardner Minshew at Atlanta, 15% owned. Andy Dalton at Miami, 8% owned. Drew Locke versus Detroit at home, 6% owned. Eli Manning at Washington, 6%. Dwayne Haskins, who did look surprisingly decent in Week 15. He's going to be facing the Giants at home in Week 16, only 3% owned. If you have to go with one of these dumpster dive types of quarterbacks, who is it? I actually have two of those that I kind of like. I like Minshew and I like Locke. I think either of them can be serviceable for Week 16. Minshew at Atlanta... Obviously, if, if Chark is back, that helps him a little bit. I like him there. I like Locke at home versus Detroit. Detroit is a mess. They, you know, and as you know, they gave up close to 50 to Winston just last week. At home, Locke's looking for redemption. He had a rough week. And he's been surprisingly, you know, he's only had three starts, but the first two were pretty solid. He's kind of, you know, he's, he's, made, he's got chemistry with Cortland Sutton and Noah Fant. I like Locke at home. He's at altitude, another small thing you can throw in there. But yeah, those are the two that I like out of that crew. Yeah, I don't have a strong take on many of these guys. I do worry about Locke just because he's a rookie, because it's difficult to know exactly what we have in him yet. But with that said, his matchup is great. The The problem is, is that all these other matchups are great too. I kind of like Dalton at the Dolphins because that is just one of the best matchups imaginable. But I think I'm with you on Minshew being the top guy from this group. He's... More of a floor play, though. If I'm looking for a ceiling, it might be Dalton or Locke. I'm probably not brave enough to start Eli Manning or Dwayne Haskins, despite the fact that <laughs> against each other, those defenses aren't very good either. Uh, those are guys who, who could end up doing well, but I would prefer Dalton and Locke and Minshew to Manning and Haskins, and I think Minshew is my favorite of the group. Any other quarterback thoughts before we move on to defense? No, I think I think we're good there. I think, like I said, most people probably have their quarterback locked up if they're in the championship game. I think we covered enough to get people through if they need that. Are there any big brand name quarterbacks who you would look to sit in week 16 in favor of a streamer? Possibly Goff. Goff's play in San Francisco. That's not, you know, Goff is hit or miss anyway. And then you've got San Francisco. I don't know if I, maybe I'd start Tannehill over Goff or maybe Fitzpatrick, but probably not. But he is one that I would consider benching. Yeah, good call. Let's get into defense. And this is another one where I'm going to kind of ignore the ownership percentages just because we want to make sure that we're giving the best possible options out to the listeners. Which defense, say, under 70% ownership stands out to you as the best bet for Week 16? Yeah, the Seahawks at Arizona, that, that's not a bad call. The Chiefs, it just depends which Trubisky shows up. Oakland has struggled. I think the Chargers could possibly be serviceable. I don't love, honestly, any of those. I think they're okay. I think when we get farther down to the lower ownership, there's a few I like there. Yeah, I think that the Chiefs are my favorite at higher higher ownership. They're at 62% because there's a good chance we see bad Trubisky here. The weather probably isn't going to be great at Chicago outdoors. And the Chiefs defense has been playing better. They put the opposing team into predictable game script, which is good for the defense. Hopefully we'll see a lot of pass attempts. And even if Chicago scores a fair number of points, like Trubisky can be a decent streamer and the Kansas City Chiefs defense can be a decent streamer. Both of these things can be true. And I think that that might be what we see in week 16. Now, a little bit deeper, uh, there's a kind of a middle tier of 30 to 25% ownership here. The Jets against Devlin Hodges or maybe Mason Rudolph again at home against Pittsburgh. The Colts are at home against Carolina and Kyle Allen, who has completely gone off the rails 
and your Denver Broncos are at home against Detroit, I have a feeling you're going to go with the Broncos here. Tell me if I'm wrong. You are wrong. I do have them in a the, uh, second. I like the Jets. Wow. The Steelers haven't scored more than 23 points since week nine. They scored just 10 last week against Buffalo. The Jets are actually, I looked it up, they're 13th in fantasy points on the season, the Jets D. So in, like for the whole season, they're, they're right there. I think the Jets D is kind of quietly playing well. I think Pittsburgh is not Pittsburgh. You know, they're not normal Pittsburgh. I like them this week. I think, yeah, I think they could be decent. And I do like Denver as well. Denver is kind of, you know, a close, like a 1A, 1B in that tier. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. I think the thing I don't like about the Jets is the fact that Pittsburgh hasn't been throwing that much, which means that's fewer opportunities for interceptions and for sacks. With James Conner healthy again, I think they might really lean into that. And I know the Jets have a good run defense, so maybe the Steelers won't be able to get away with that sort of approach. But I do worry that based upon the limited pass volume that the Steelers have shown over the past few weeks, that that's going to continue kind of regardless of the running back matchup and that there just won't be as many opportunities for the Jets to score fantasy points. Now, if the Jets can hold the Steelers to a low point total, that's one thing. But typically, defensive scoring is driven by those turnovers and by sacks. So I would rather go with the Colts against Kyle Allen, who, like I said, has really been a disaster in the past few weeks. And I like the Broncos against David Blau and Detroit, who are also falling apart. Now, let's go a little bit deeper one more time for the the true degenerates out there, maybe looking for a budget option in DFS or just looking for a low-owned streamer because all the other better options have been plucked away. If you were looking at the Raiders or the Lions or the Giants or the Falcons or Washington or Miami or Cincinnati, do any of these low-ownership teams stand out to you as potentially viable in the final week of the regular season? Not really. (laughs) I tried. I tried to make a case. I looked through them, and I just... It's tough. I mean, maybe in DFS you could punt and throw someone in there, but with your, your redraft championship on the line... I don't know that I trust any of those. Possibly the Redskins against, you know, the Giants, whoever they trot out there. Maybe the Falcons against Jacksonville. Those would maybe be the only two I would consider. There have to be better options out there for you guys that are in those championship games. Those are the two teams that I bolded on my list, the Falcons and Washington. And let me make the case for Washington. Let's hear it. So they've been surprisingly decent over the past few weeks since... Week 11, this is post-buy. Here are their point totals. Judging it from one of my leagues, so these are going to vary from league to league, but three points, 20 points, 11 points, six points, and one point. So there are some duds in there, but there have also been some solid weeks in there. But the thing is, this is a matchup that has been very good for the most part on the year. The Giants have given up a lot of points to fantasy defenses, not so much in recent weeks, but I think that's mostly based upon the schedule of teams that they face. They face Miami, Philly, Green Bay, and Chicago. Now, the Chicago's defense is supposed to be good, right? But that was that was New York's first game out of their Week 11 bye, so they were probably a little bit better prepared for that game against the Bears. Before the bye, they gave up 16 points, 17 points, 11 points, 14 points, 28 points, 13 points. 8655 in the first four weeks of the season. So this is a matchup that is very good. And because Washington is at least competent on the defensive side of the ball, I do like them as a cheap option in DFS and maybe a, a complete desperation streamer if you're looking for that in a seasonal league. I'll give you that. Good point. Yep. All right. Thanks, Jen. I, I appreciate your support. Let's uh, look ahead to championship week with just a few more questions here. And I want to dredge up the good old start your studs discussion. Is this something we should care about? And I don't know where you fall on the start your stud spectrum. I think in general, it's a good rule of thumb. But as I kind of alluded to earlier in the show, there's 
a point at which those rules of thumb start stop working, right? Because I think there will be times when there are studs we want to sit, and there are examples where non-studs are players we do want to start. Who are some studs you probably would sit in week 16? Like, who is breaking the rule for you this week? Um, well, first of all, I do I do subscribe to the do not always start your studs. As you mentioned earlier in the when, in the intro, I write a weekly column at 444, which is players with tough matchups. And that's essentially what that article is. Studs that have tough matchups. Basically a, a play at your own risk, proceed with caution kind of situation. So each week I do highlight guys that I feel are in tough situations and that you can sit, even though they're, you know, quote unquote studs. Um, this week, unfortunately, I've got Edelman again. Um, not that he was, you know, I, I started him last week because we thought he was going to be great, but I think he's going to have another rough go. He's playing Buffalo in week four when he played Buffalo. It was the second worst, second worst outing of the season. He only had four catches for 30 yards on seven targets. So I do think, sadly, since he's coming off a rough outing, I think it's going to go again. So you may, if you do have other players, I would go that route. I think he's someone that, unfortunately, we've counted on week in and week out, and I just am not sure that's going to happen this week. Yeah, he's on my list as well. I also have Odo Beckham at home against Baltimore and Kenny Galladay on the road at Denver. I just don't know if you can trust those guys in those matchups, kind of similar to what you talked about with Edelman. Another player I want to dig into here is Todd Gurley. He's going to be on the road at the Niners. That defense is very good despite just losing to the Falcons. And as a Niners fan, the, the levels of tilt associated with that are, are high for me. But what do you think about Gurley in Week 16? Is he a stud that you might consider benching? Absolutely. It's funny. I guess you and I like mines, but I had three guys down. I had Edelman, OBJ, and Gurley. So we have the exact same guys listed. Um, I do think he's someone you can sit. He, yeah, I never thought in a million years that you would say that about him because he's been such a stud in the NFL. But yes, I think matchup wise, I think, you know, obviously the arthritic knee that has some issues, but I do think against the 49ers, I think there are better options out there with all the injuries and, and, and new guys that have kind of come up, for example, you know, the Drakes and the people like that, that you'd never think in a million years, you start before Gurley, you might want to think about it. Let's go the other way. Now let's talk about some players who might not be considered studs, who we probably would start in week 16. I touched on Brashad Perriman earlier in the show. I think he fits his criteria. He's going up against Houston at home, probably the number one receiver for Jameis Winston and the Bucks. Is there anybody else along those lines that stands out to you as someone who, kind of came on strong at the end of the year but wouldn't necessarily be considered an every week starter that you definitely want to jam in in week 16 someone i have this week i think is dk metcalf you know he's not necessarily a stud and he's not necessarily a, a super sleeper either but i think he's got a really good matchup he's playing arizona who are the league worst in, in passing yards allowed they're allowing just under 300 passing yards per game they also give up 41.3 PPR points to opposing wideouts each week. You know, Lockett's been, you know, hit or miss as well, and I think Metcalf could come on strong this week. Um, I also have a second guy. I have Cortland Sutton. Once again, that, that matchup against Detroit, you know, with Drew Locke, Sutton has sh- – I mean, he's a stud, you know, whether he's been he – So is, he doesn't then, qualify. If he's, if he's a stud, then – No, I mean, he's a stud, like, as a person, but he's not a fantasy stud. Does that make sense? I actually but, think he is a fantasy stud. He's proven that this no, year. He's been great. No, he has been great, but I guess going into the season, he was kind of, oh, well, we, you know, Sanders was there, of course, at the start of the season. So you were like, what's going to happen with Cortland Sutton? Will he be, you know, a good wide receiver too? He's clearly the wide receiver one now in Denver, and he's shown, I mean, he's so good. And so I guess, yeah, so I guess maybe he is a stud, so maybe he doesn't qualify, but I, I, yeah. No, I get what you're saying. In terms of the name brand equity that he had to start the year, he is not considered on the same level as 
a Julian Edelman or an Odell Beckham Jr. or a Kenny Galladay, I would argue that he's gotten there this year. But in some people's minds, because he's still kind of coming out of nowhere, because only one person per league can own that player, not everyone is going to realize how good Cortland Sutton has been this season. And for that reason, yes, I think that he's an every week starter. uh, And this is a week where you can consider using him, especially because of the matchup at Detroit. A couple other names I'll throw out there are players from that waiver wire section you can consider plugging in in week 16. Anthony Miller against the Chiefs. I made the case for him earlier. Whoever starts at running back for Minnesota, assuming it's not Dalvin Cook, I think those players would all merit consideration, even alongside some stud options. And then the last guy I want to throw out is Jacob Hollister, the tight end for Seattle. He's playing against Arizona, which is the ultimate tight end matchup in fantasy football. If you have Hollister versus, say, a more entrenched player, which way are you going there, Jen? What do you think about this type of asset at the tight end position. You, you mean like a Hollister versus say Hunter Henry or someone that's kind of normally. Ha- sure. Yeah. I mean, I would definitely look at matchups, especially a tight end. You can't, I mean, other than, you know, Ertz, Kelsey, Kittle, after that, I would definitely go matchup. And, and Hollister is in a great spot. As you said, you know, Arizona has been a sieve, you know, to tight ends. Green Bay did take over though, that spot as of last week. Um, as, as the, the dead last in, in against tight ends. However, Arizona has been known to give up a lot, and I think Hollister's in a great spot. I don't know if I'd sit him for someone like, say, Waller or Andrews, but, you know, the ones, as you get a little bit farther down where you get the Doyles and, and whoever, I think definitely Hollister is in consideration this week for sure. Okay, so the last thing I want to do with you here is go over our most important decision points or questions we need to answer to prepare for the final week of fantasy football. And one of the ones that I am looking at is Jacob Hollister versus Austin Hooper. Now, he was Hooper wasn't a name you mentioned in that conversation. What would you do there? Because I am leaning Hollister here. Hooper has the Jags, which is also not a terrible matchup, but I don't know if I can get away from the, the flowchart play of going against the Cardinals. You know, the Jags are actually fifth in adjusted fantasy points allowed to tight end. So they actually play the tight end well. They're only allowing an average of 9.9 to the 9.9 fantasy points or PPR points to the tight end versus Arizona, who is giving 16. So, you know, awesome. looking, that makes yeah. it easy for me. Who stands out to you or which sort of decisions are you looking at for week 16? You know, it's, it, it's interesting. You know, most people will have a stud running back as their RB1. That RB2 slot sometimes is tough. For me, all season, I've had the debate between Miles Sanders and Devin Singletary. Luckily, in the last few weeks, that's become a lot clearer, and now I can go Sanders and not stress about it. But that was a stress I've had all season. I also have Josh Jacobs in there, so it's kind of a rotation. We have several flex spots, so... I will, you know, this week, for example, I started Carson Sanders and Jacobs. You know, we'll see what happens this week. That's kind of tough. Another guy that we haven't really mentioned in the tight end slot is is Godert. He doesn't qualify as a streamer because he's he's owned, you know, people. I, I don't know what his exact percentage is, but I know he's too highly owned to be considered a streamer. But he he gets it done quietly every week. He's someone that I would start possibly based on matchup. Dallas is actually 23rd, so they're not great against the tight end. So I would possibly consider Goder over, you know, other guys that maybe like a Hooper or someone like that that has kind of a, a iffy matchup. Yeah, another similar player like that for me is Tyler Higby. If Gerald Everett comes back this week, I don't know what the heck I'm going to do because Higby has been so good as the locked-in starter for the Rams at tight end, and I'm looking at him versus Jason Witten in one of my leagues. If you're looking at Higby with Gerald Everett healthy enough to play, where does he rank for you? Is Higby a guy you'd be comfortable using if Everett is cleared to go in week 16? 
I think so. I love Higby. He's been so good. And they, he's definitely carved out a role. I don't think they're just going to be like, all right, see ya. You know, you're back to the bench. You know, they may figure out a way to do more, more two tight end sets. Maybe not. He may get more work than Everett, depending on where he is in his injury. If they, if they rush him back, I mean, he's been out for a while. I'm not sure exactly how many weeks, but I think Higby is someone that I would consider. They do play the Niners though, correct? So that, that's right. That might be. Not the best matchup for either of them. Um, San Francisco ranks eighth, but I do like Higby. It's tough. You know, the emotional part of me, he's just, he, he has been great for those people that, that snagged him off the waiver wire whenever it went down. I'm sure he's helped a lot of people get to where they are if they're in that championship. Yeah, he's certainly helped me in that way. And my ultimate hope is that Everett remains out here. I, I don't wish Gerald Everett any ill will, but I just want him <laughs> to be fully healthy, you know, ready to go 100%, maybe 110%, Gerald, if he could. Uh, but yeah, if he could sit out just one more week, maybe come back in week 17 uh, and let me get one more week of full-time starter Tyler Higby, that would be great. The only yeah. other big decision I'm looking at is uh, I talked about potentially benching Kenny Galladay at Denver. If I bench him in the Barf League, the Bay Area Rotisserie Fantasy League, that means that I have to plug in either Terry McLaurin, Darius Slayton, or Jamison Crowder. I don't know which way I'm going to go there. I think Slayton's the only one I'm not really confident in. Uh, Crowder worries me a little bit based upon the matchup, so I think I'm going to go with McLaurin. But then I even then I start second-guessing the whole process, right? It's like, should I even be benching Galladay in the first place, even though it's a tough matchup, even though he has David Blau throwing him the ball? If he's the clear wide receiver one... Does he still get enough targets to kind of outproduce these other guys? I, I, I do think it's McLaurin, though, of these four. Which direction would you go there? I like McLaurin there as well. It's so tough. It's such a mind, you know, it's just it's so hard when you get down to the end here. Your mind is so hyper-focused on all of this stuff versus, especially, okay, you've got people that are playing multiple leagues. Maybe you're down to just one championship game, so you're obsessed the entire week of this guy, and you run every single number possible. You have to kind of step back a second and be like, all right, you know, matchups are very important. However, you know, you don't want to do anything crazy or, like we said, get too cute. You know, I, I like, I do like McLaurin in that. Galladay is a tough matchup, so I would definitely proceed with caution there. And I think you're, I think you're justified in in that in that decision making there. Um, I do have one more that I didn't say. Go for it. That would be, you know, it's a running back issue. I've got a Kenyon Drake, Raheem Mostert thing that's kind of, Mm. eh. you know, they're both kind of, eh. I don't love either of them, but I do have to play one of them. And so, you know. It would be be Drake for me. It feels like as, as good as Mostert has been, I just don't see why they wouldn't continue to feature Drake in Arizona, you know? Yeah, I mean, Mostert gets the Rams, and I think Drake gets Seattle. So, uh, luckily, we have a week to make these, you know, decisions. Um, it is only Monday, but yeah, I mean, I, it's weird because I would never think, you know, coming into the season that I would even be deciding between these two, to be honest with you. But there they are. So, uh, I, I will probably go Drake, especially because I sat him last week and he scored forty nine points <laughs> on my bench. <laughs> Yeah, I, I've been in the same boat with Ryan Tannehill over the past two weeks. I keep fading him in favor of other options that I felt were a little safer just because I don't trust when a quarterback has a lot of touchdowns on a low volume of throws. And that's what Tannehill has been recently. But in this final week, I'm probably going to end up putting Tannehill back in uh, over Jimmy Garoppolo in the going deep league. I just don't see how I could justify Garoppolo over Tannehill based upon the way that they played last week. But it does feel like this could come back to bite me as, you know, that that week where everything you thought was going to go wrong 
before finally does go wrong. And that's my ultimate fear, but whatever. I'm, I'm just going to steer right into it, see what happens. And eventually you do have to make a decision. So <laughs> once you do, just go with it. See how it goes. I, the only way you're really going to know whether it was right or not is after the results come in, after you have no control. So try to make the right call. But if you you, you have to understand that you're not always going to make the right call. And so make a decision. See how it goes. Uh, let's get out of here on this, Jen. Give me one bold prediction for week 16. I don't know how bold this is, but I just have one guy that didn't really fall into any other categories that we talked about prior, so I figured I'd throw that out there. I think Will Fuller is somehow going to show up and have a great week. I think he's going to go off. I guess my bold prediction is I think he's going to go off on everybody's bench. That's kind of – no one's <laughs> going to no start him. He's had tons of soft tissue injuries. They're going to – you know, they have a great matchup against Tampa Bay, and I think Will, Will Fuller is going to come out of nowhere and piss people off because he's going to be on their bench. I'm going to say that Matt Ryan ends up being the overall QB1 with 30-plus points against Jacksonville. That Jacksonville defense has been a bit of a sieve, especially against the pass. And I don't know how much that's going to help people in seasonal leagues because Matt Ryan is likely rostered in most leagues out there. But maybe if you're looking for a DFS play, I think Matt Ryan has some sneaky high upside going against the Jags. Jen, that does it. Thank you for coming on the show today. I really appreciate you taking the time. Why don't you let the folks know where they can find you and find your work? Absolutely. No, thank you for having me. It was great to be kind of, I bookended the season. I was here on week one and now I'm here on week 16. You can find all my work on 444.com. I have four articles a week that I post, two streaming, one dead weight report and one tough matchup report. And I am on Twitter at the Monday mommy. You can follow me on Twitter listeners at Greg sauce. And despite the, uh, the track I used on this show's music, uh, it's over. This show is not over quite yet. John and Anthony will be back later this week with a pod episode of their own. And I will do another episode for week 17, kind of wrapping up what we've seen through uh, the bulk of the fantasy season, maybe do a little bit of projection for week 17. Uh, that's always a bit of a crazy week. It'll be more of a, a retrospective of the 2019 fantasy football season. So stay tuned for those episodes. If you wouldn't mind, please rate and review the show. That really helps us out. Get a 4 subscription. We'll take care of you through the offseason. And otherwise, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time on the Most Accurate Podcast. <laughs>